0: Thank you, Pastor Ellis. It's uh, good to be with all of you here today. And as the pastor acknowledged, these COVID times are strange times. So, strange is here to (laughs) bring a message to you. There has to be some value of having such a name, and uh, every now and then it's evident. Let's hear God's Word as we begin with Matthew eleven twenty. Our focus is going to be this morning, particularly as we think of the heart of Jesus, as you've heard the pastor already, well prepare us in the worship. We're going to read 20 to 30, 11, 20 to 30 of Matthew. Verse 29 will be our particular focus. This is God's holy and infallible word. Then he, that is Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Zidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Zidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, what a joy it is to gather as Your people here, live streaming, together with the saints throughout the world, to give You praise and to hear Your Word. Be pleased, Father, by the self-same Spirit that gave this Word to take it home and to make it real. In our hearts and lives, in Jesus' name, Amen. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am gentle and lowly in heart. We just heard from Matthew eleven twenty nine. These astounding words, as I trust we'll see together, are at the heart of the most appealing invitation ever uttered. Now, I should note at this point that I'm particularly indebted in this sermon to Dane Ortland's new book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And I commend it to you. I've never ever done so in an introduction to a sermon before. But it's that powerful a book. Well, these few words that our Lord is gentle and lowly in heart, are so remarkable because they reveal the very heart of our Savior. Charles Spurgeon notes that only here in Matthew eleven twenty nine, in all the Gospel accounts, does Jesus Himself open up to us His very heart. For Him to say, I am gentle and lowly in heart, is for our Lord to tell us what He is at the core of His being in ethics, fundamentally. We note here that biblically, heart is not something that's opposed to head as we sometimes popularly take it. Rather, in the Bible, Old and New Testament, heart includes head and means not only the emotions, certainly it does mean that, but the whole of the inner man who we are on the inside. And the words Jesus chooses to tell us who He is in heart, especially in this context, are wonderful and encouraging. More than we could ever hope or imagine. So here at the end of Matthew 11, Jesus reveals to us His very heart. That's our thing. Jesus reveals to us His very heart. And here's what we're going to look at this morning. First of all, He's gentle. Secondly, He's lowly. Third, He is inviting. He is gentle. He is lowly. He is inviting. So first of all, we say Jesus, after pronouncing woes on the believing cities of His day that we saw in the beginning of our reading in verse 20 and declaring in verse 25 and following the inability of those wise in their own eyes to know the father he turns Jesus turns in Matthew 11:28 to his beleaguered disciples and he says i am gentle in heart to the likes of us sinners and sufferers this is a surprising word we might expect jesus as the one who reveals the father to say something else, given that He's Jesus come in the flesh. Now, let me just pause and say this. You as a Christian understand that this is God come in the flesh. Now, unbelievers may say that Jesus was a a great teacher, a great prophet. And so in the world, to say, as many would say, well, Jesus is gentle and lowly, of course, that's what we expect. That's an interesting perspective, because they don't think He's God. They think He's just a nice man, maybe a pushover, kind of a pansy, an easy touch or mark. But you know Him as God come in the flesh. You know Him for who He is. And so when He says here that He's gentle in heart, you might expect Him to say as a believer that He's exalted and dignified in heart. Or truth be told, austere and demanding in heart. As sadly, we often see Him this way. But no, we're told not even that He's joyful and generous in heart but that He's gentle and lowly in heart. He possesses and embodies a glory and even a grandeur. But you might say, well, that seems a bit at odds with gentle. We know Him as very God, a very God. And we just confess that He ascended to the right hand of the Father. Well, you might say, yeah, pastor, okay, that's true. But we not only talk about God in His greatness. Boys and girls, you know how we, at prayer time, you might say, God is great, God is good. And when you say God is great... You're particularly thinking about all those things that mark Him as God. If you think of question four, we speak of Him as infinite, eternal, unchangeable. That's God being great. But we also say that He's good. We speak of these characteristics or properties often as communicable characteristics or properties, things that He shares with us. And so you say, well, Pastor, we know that not only is He great, but He is also good. But when we think about those kinds of attributes that we have some degree of share in, don't you often think, because you read people, and rightly so, like, like J.C. Ryle or R.C. Sproul, and you think about Jesus being holy. In fact, if we were to play a word association, and I were to say, tell me what characteristic pops into your mind, when I say God, you're likely to say holy. You're not wrong. You get what I'm saying. You're quite right. Jesus is unalterably holy. But I think we often think that He must, if He is, and we know He is, He must be repulsed by sinners. Even justified adopted ones. Sometimes I ask people this in counseling. They're really struggling. And I say, do you know God loves you? Yes, Pastor, I do know that. I do know that in all these difficulties. And I say, do you think He likes you? And they start thinking about how they experience, how we experience things. Because we like to say this sort of thing. Well, I know God told me to love everybody and I'm trying to, but there's a lot of people I don't like. Is that the way you think God regards you? Is he kind of holding it you know he 's declared you righteous, and you have the righteousness of Christ. The glorious exchange, as Luther has said, has occurred. Christ has taken your sin, all your sin, if your hope and trust is in him, and given you his righteousness, so you 're washed in the blood you 're robed in his righteousness you 're as righteous before the throne of God if you trust Jesus as is Christ himself. But do you think God says, "Well, I know all that, but you kind of disgust me." That's not what we see here. That's not what we see here. Certainly, the Pharisees, in presenting God to Israel, depicted him somehow, somewhat in this way, because Jesus himself in Matthew 23, says that, they, that the Pharisees laid unbearable burdens. Matthew 23, 3 and 4, upon their hearers, and they would not lift a finger to make it less. Well, let's drill down just a bit in the statement, I am gentle. The Greek word translated gentle in the ESV here in our text occurs just three other times in the New Testament. Now, you've already, thanks be to good worship leadership, heard one of them, right? In the first beatitude. That's one of the three other uses. Matthew 5, 5, in which we're told that the gentle or the meek will inherit the earth. Now, here's a, here's a clue that Christianity, the kingdom, stands things on its head because... You wouldn't think that the meek are going to inherit the earth. I mean, if you look without eyes of faith, if you just look at the world, if you watch the news, if you go online, it looks like the greedy and rapacious are inheriting the world. They're grasping it and they're holding on to it. And the meek are off being just dispossessed and having nothing. But that's not what the truth is. The meek will inherit the earth. And then another usage of it is in Matthew 21 5, quoting from Zechariah 9 9, that Jesus is coming to you, humble, there's the word, and mounted on a donkey. The triumphal entry. The children were crying, Hosanna in the highest, and were waving palm branches. And then thirdly, Peter's encouragement for wives to attend to the inner person to cultivate a gentle, there's the word, a gentle and quiet spirit. So Jesus is meek, humble, gentle, not trigger-happy, not harsh or reactionary or easily exasperated. He is, as Ortland notes, The most understanding person in the universe. Now, this is important for you to know, friends, because you're struggling with something and you want to call up Sally or Bill or Joe or Mary. And there's, of course, nothing wrong and there's something quite right with calling up your good friends and Sharing because we 're to bear one another 's burdens, but this should never, please be clear, please be clear. this must never be in the place of going to Jesus because I do think we think that well, Jesus is there, and he 's our savior, but we just can 't go to him with everything, yes, you can, well, if we do, I mean you know if he is we don 't like to say this, but if he is he as understanding as bill i mean bill 's known me forever, and he knows you better than your best friend. You need to go to Him. You need to make it your practice regularly to come to Christ in everything. The posture most natural to Him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Open arms. And two little... Further considerations under this point, which is the longest point. Don't get too nervous here. We're drawn to Him and Him to us. This gentle Savior draws us to Him and Him to us. The us to Him part seems obvious enough, right? But you need to know this too. No matter how gruff or tough you may be, in your deepest distress... And I've seen some guys who are pretty tough who are pretty resilient. But when they were really down, they appreciated, they appreciated this gentle Savior who reaches out, who reaches out in His love to lift us up, to bring us back. And don't you know, too, when you think of that or calling a friend, or difficulties. Don't you know, when you wander away from the Lord, maybe you haven't been reading the Bible, you haven't been seeking Him in prayer, you haven't been fellowshipping in the congregation or live stream, you haven't been using the means of grace, you've just been out there kind of drifting. Don't you have the distinct sense that when you come back, He never went anywhere. He was there, like the father looking for the prodigal. The prodigal is the one who's gone out and around and about and up and down, right? The father is looking and he runs to meet him. Our God is more ready for you to come to Him than you ever are to come. And so we say, not only is he, are we drawn to Him, but He's drawn to us. I want you to hear this. You might think, well, he barely tolerates me. I mean, maybe you've seen a courtroom drama or some sort of you've read or you've seen a film where the judge says something like this, yes, technically, according to the law, you're not guilty, but you disgust me. Get out of this court. Because, you know, the person is is not a good person there. That's not what we're talking about. Because not only does he justify you, he adopts you. You're his precious child. And I'm just touching the hem of this garment. I'm, I'm saying scarcely anything here, but this needs to be your focus far more than it, than it often is. Well, he is gentle and he is lowly. Clearly this word overlaps with gentle. You could see even in my talking about it, and it really communicates a single reality about the heart of Jesus. The Greek word is often translated as simply humble, this second word. As in James 4.6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here's an interesting feature. The word, typically throughout the New Testament, doesn't refer so much to humility as a virtue, but to humility in the sense of, of one being without, destitute, thrust down, the conditions of life casting you down. I mean, some people's life conditions lifts them up. And they're on easy street. There's one of those going down to Wildwood, you know. They're on easy street. They're having a ball. Or, maybe things are going really rough. Maybe you've done your worst again. Maybe you realize you've just blown this relationship. You've just wasted this money, this time. You've just sinned. And you feel destitute. You're cast down. Gee, uh, Mary sings about this. This is the word that she used in the magnificent out of Mary when she says, My soul, my soul does magnify the lord and she speaks of the humble estate in Luke 152 of those upon whom the lord the lord looks upon Mary in her humble estate paul too says in Romans 12:16 not to be haughty but to associate with the lowly not the life of the party necessarily but the person who makes you cringe when they come in this is who we're to associate with None of this is native to us. None of this is natural to us. But I want to tell you something. It's natural to Jesus. It is who He is. It's not like we're saying it's really hard to love God and our neighbor. We understand that. But for him, it was his very native heir. Now, that's not to say that there was not a great burden in this respect when he was on this earth, but it was because he was so opposed by all circumstances. And he certainly was cast down. He was lowly. In fact, we speak about him being in an estate of humiliation when he was born and that in a low condition, born under the law. You know the circumstance of his birth. We think of this at Christmas, of how he was not born in a palace. He was born as he was in... This low condition, and he lived his life in that condition, keeping the whole law for you, and then going to the cross, he who had done no wrong, going to that cruel tree and dying there, not for a single wrong thought, but for all your and my wrong thoughts and words and deeds, all the days of our lives throughout the history of the world, dying for the sins of his people. Oh, my. That's what he did for you. That's what he did for you. And here's the point in saying that Jesus is lowly is to say that he is accessible. He's accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. That isn't what we tend to think natively, but it's true. It's true. There are no prerequisites. There are no hoops to jump through. Simply open yourself to Him. Simply open yourself to Him. As one of our great hymns says so invitingly, the only fitness He requires is to feel your need of Him. The only fitness He requires is to feel your need of Him. And that same hymn says, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. He says, come. He doesn't say, you know, it's not like Pharaoh has called you to come and you're Joseph and you're, oh, 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 my goodness, oh boy, you know, you've got to shave. I mean, you've you've got to get it all, put some nice clothes on. This is why we sing, and rightly so, and don't, think, oh, well, this is just a kind of a a hymn for for broad evangelicals, isn't it? The Graham Crusade, Just As I Am. Just As I Am is a great hymn. It's a fantastic hymn. Many people have come to Christ through the Graham Crusades. I'm not suggesting otherwise. My point is, though, don't get into our reformed uppity things and think... (laughs) This isn't a good hymn. It's a fantastic hymn. In fact, it's it's always the only way we ever come to God. Just as I am, without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me. And as Thou bidst me come to Thee, I come. Oh, love of God, I come. Well, How do you come? Do you say, oh, you know, uh, because I've been a child for some time and I've lived a fine, upstanding life. I mean, is that what we sing now that you've been a child of God for many years? Maybe you don't remember a time when you didn't trust Him. And praise God for that. But we always and only and ever come just as I am. And here's the thing, and I really appreciate the pastor already pointing this out. We said that during his time of humiliation, he was particularly in a low estate, but he's now in exaltation. And so you say, well, at the right hand of the Father, in exaltation, maybe he's not gentle and lowly. But He continues to come to us. He who is exalted at the right hand of the Father continues by His Spirit, as we confessed earlier in the service, to come to us by His Holy Spirit. And I want you to make sure that you understand this especially. Because it's at the table of the Lord that you see this with a certain sort of clarity. Because Jesus, who is in His exaltation, continues to come to us under the elements under the emblems of His humiliation. The pastor stands there and he says, His body broken for you. His blood shed for you. That is the very height or depth, depending on how you want to look at it, of His suffering. That's the very nadir, the low point of His humiliation. But He continues, though He's in exaltation, to come to you under the emblems of His humiliation. At the table of the Lord. So He comes to you who are in your humiliation. You're now in your humiliation. It's not until the resurrection that you enter your exaltation. It's not just because you're having to sit here and listen to me with masks, though that may be a part of it, that you're in your humiliation. We all are! Until Jesus comes again. That's when our exaltation begins. It doesn't even begin at death, because those who are dead are better They're with Christ, but they don't have their bodies. And it's at the last day that we'll be body and soul reunited to be forever with the Lord. Aren't you looking forward to that? But until then, until He comes, we have the preaching of the Word. We have the administration of the sacraments. And now especially we're thinking baptism is His putting His seal upon us and saying, you're mine. Though you're, though you're natively a miserable wretch, I wash you, I robe you. You're mine. And the table... He says, I continue to come to you. I continue to give you grace. That grace that I achieved in my humiliation. That salvation that I won for you. Here, take and eat. Partake and eat. He wants to sup with us. He's exalted. We're lowly. And He wants to sup with us. So when you failed again. When you've done your worst, you've blown it big time, know that He's accessible. Know that He's accessible. This is so irresistibly attractive, especially in one so great. Thomas Goodwin said... We're apt to think that He being so holy is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners. And in fact, if we just had, if you will, if we just had the kind of natural revelation, what do we get? Genesis, uh, Romans 1 and 2 tells us that, that God has revealed those invisible qualities. So, so there's a sense in which though we push that truth down in unrighteousness, There's a revelation of God's just character. We can see that we're sinners and that we're justly condemned. He writes the works of the law even on the hearts. But the Gospel, in other words, if the Bible didn't say, if Jesus didn't say, I'm gentle and lowly in heart, I could never come to you here and say it. It's audacious. I couldn't make this up. How would I dare say such a thing? I couldn't. I, I maybe could say you're all sinners and we're all sinners and we're going to hell. That's really all we can say. But the gospel says far more. But it doesn't just say, well, we're redeemed sinners and, you know, though God doesn't really care for us that much. He's going to take us up there and we'll be He will in heaven. But the other hymn writer, another hymn writer, top lady says, more happy there, but not more secure. The righteousness that we have right now is a perfect righteousness. We will not be more holy in heaven in the sense of having a perfect righteousness. We'll be personally thoroughly holy, and I know you long for that day. But right now, you have a perfect righteousness if your faith and trust is in Christ. I should pause here just to note this. Jesus does not show himself as gentle and lowly to all in an indiscriminate way. That's pretty clear if you go back to verse 20. He does not present Himself this way. He's not mushy and frothy. He doesn't present Himself this way to those who remain stubbornly impenitent. That's what the woes pronounced on the cities of His day are. He's saying, these cities would not believe in Me. If you will not believe in Christ, if you will not trust Him, you will not know this gentle and lowly heart. You need to come to Him. You need to come to Him. Calvin says, when we come to Him, we know the Father as our Father, no longer as our judge. But we must mention this. Matthew eleven twenty one 21 and 24, He shows Himself as judge to the persistently unbelieving. Matthew 11, 25, from those who fancy themselves as wise and understanding, not needing Jesus... They don't see Him this way. But for the, for the penitent, for those who will believe and repent, His heart of gentle, lowly embrace is never outmatched by our sin. He is accessible. This gentle, lowly descriptor, just this last little point on this, this gentle, lowly descriptor is not how He occasionally acts, but it is who He is. And so we see finally that this gentle and lowly one is so inviting. He appeals to sinners and sufferers. To all who labor and are heavy laden. Is that you? Do you know what it means to, to labor? To be heavy laden? Partly it's to see our sin. To those who see their sin and know their sin and feel their sin. Feel the weight of that sin. He says, come to me. And how do we come to Him? That's an interesting kind of thing. When He invites us to come or commands us to come as King, you can look at this in various ways. The question is, how do we come to Him? Because this is metaphorical. We're not literally, it's not a matter of literally walking up to Jesus, but what it means is we're doing something in our hearts. It means we're resting in Him, we're trusting in Him. But again, we do this in no small measure, through the means that He's appointed. We come to Him day by day when we pick up His Word or other good Christian books and we read them and we meditate upon them. And we see how much He loves us and our hearts are drawn to Him. Our hearts and lives are laid bare before Him and exposed and His grace is applied to us. And then we seek Him in prayer. And we come together as a congregation and we hear the preaching of the Word. And we take the sacrament and we sing praises. We've been doing it all in this service. All of this service, if you've been drawn near to Christ, if you found yourself resting in Christ, that's coming to Christ. And that's what you're called to do. Again and again and again. You see, if you've come, come again. If you've never come, come Somebody asked me once, do you believe in the second blessing? I said, oh yes, the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. I believe in countless blessings. Now, I knew what they meant, but... Right! (laughs) Never-ending blessings in Christ. He is just what we needy most need. And you are needy, aren't you? You have a, a realization of the crippling nature of sin and suffering. Often when we see this, when we begin to see something of our need, we we try to cure ourselves to deal with the the heavy load of sin. And one path we go down is that we self-medicate with a lot of things. Food, drink, entertainment, sex, work, shopping. And my point isn't, is that all wrong? My point is, we look to those things rather than Christ. We come to those things when times are difficult. When maybe we're down... We've lost our job. We're in relational difficulty and struggle. We're really struggling with a sin. On the other hand, that's one approach. But you say, well, I realize that. And I'm not, I'm not, trying, I'm not doing that. I don't want to turn to those things. I'm just trying harder to be good, to do more, to be a good wife or mother as I realize where I fail, to be a good husband or father, but the harder we try, the more we fail. You've been there? The treadmill? You know that? I'm trying, I'm trying. To you, Jesus promises rest. Come to Him and rest. And what He wants you to do, you say, well, aren't we supposed to try? He wants you to live the Christian life In the mode of rest. He wants you to go forward resting in Him. That's how we don't just get burned out completely. All of us come to points where we see it coming. But we need to rest in Him. This has been a very challenging time. You might think, well, we have all this time off. And I've I've dealt with a lot of people. I'm sure Pastor Ellis and others of you have talked with people, colleagues, co-workers. And you say, well, it's a great time to, to refresh because you can be with your family more. You can read God's Word more. You can read it together. But nothing is just automatic. Things get brought out. Problems surface. And we see that we need to come to Christ there's nothing, well, this time will be okay. It's like, well, I have a week off, so, that, so the week off is just going to heal me. Nothing would heal you but Jesus. No other thing is going to do it. That's what this is about. Come to Him. Look to Him. Trust in Him. And to you, Jesus promises rest. What does He say to the, to the sea as He's in the boat with the troubled disciples? Peace be still. That's what He says to you. Peace, be still. Amen. Peace, be still. Trust. He says, all your striving, laboring, heavy laden, in all of that, come to me and rest. Note that our sin and suffering is our burden. And He invites us to come and to unburden ourselves, to cast all our cares upon Him who truly cares for us. And He invites us in coming and giving Him our burden to take His light yoke. Ah, I, knew, I know it with you preachers. I knew there was a catch! It sounded good. Come to me. Rest in me. And now you're saying, He's saying, take my yoke. Ah, I knew you were going to pull the rug out from under me. Like Lucy pulling the football away from Linus. I've tricked you again. No, friends. Again, this was in the words of what was being said in the previous part of the worship, both in singing and saying and prayer. Taking His light yoke. Being yoked. You know the imagery here. Like oxen are yoked together. Be not unequally yoked. Meaning an unbeliever and a believer shouldn't marry. So this close yoking means you're joined to Christ. It means you're in union with Christ. You're in faith union with Christ. And be yoked to Him. Have that yoke upon you. And know the blessing thereof. Know that this is blessing because your burden is your sin. Your burden is not God's way. Your burden is not God saying, walk in this way. Walk according to My Word. Your burden is not walking that way. Your burden is walking in your own sin and unbelief. But as you come to God and you take that light yoke upon you again and again, you know blessing, as John says, The law is not burdensome to those who love God. As you're loving Him then, you see all the joy of this. This becomes, you're talking about the Heidelberg Catechism, the whole third part is an expression of gratitude. That's where the law is treated in the Heidelberg Catechism. The first part, you could say, is, is guilt. We're sinners. The second part is grace. God has shown us His favor. He's forgiven us. He's washed us in the blood. He's rubbed us in the righteousness. The third part is how should you live then? You should live in this way, in this way that He has set forth. That's being yoked to Christ. That's joy. Come to Him, not to have heavy pharisaical burdens laid upon you like they did, but to have your sin lifted off you and His mild yoke placed upon you as your guide. And we say we come by the means that He has appointed. word, sacraments, prayer. Come then. Come then, beloved, Here at Faith OPC. A church I dearly love and have for decades, but nothing like how Christ loves you. Christ loves you with a love that will never let you go. Come then, invited, and partake of Christ. Trust in Him alone. You can't save yourself. Rest in Him and be drawn to Him who says to you at your worst... Not when you've got it all together, but at your worst, come, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this word. Take it home to our needy, waiting hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our close.